You're listening to the I Love to Watch You Play.com podcast, the three A's Amanda, Alex, and me, Asia. Amanda Cromwell, head coach of the UCLA women's soccer team, Woo-hoo. television sports anchor, reporter, host, and co founder of I Love to Watch You Play, Alex Flanagan. <laughs> and I'm Asia Mape, the other half of I Love to Watch You Play and a 20 year veteran of sports television. And this is the I Love to Watch You Play.com podcast, where we discuss all the issues hot-button topics and craziness in youth sports and hope to help you and us find some sanity and solutions. And there's a lot of craziness. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> okay, sports parents, who needs a break from cooking but still wants to feed the family fresh and nutritious meals? Well, check out Freshly.com. Freshly is a meal delivery service that allows you to skip the grocery store and the meal prep, but you don't have to give up on great food. You can use promo code FLAN2X to get $20 off your first two weeks at Freshly.com. Today, we're talking about the health crisis behind early sports specialization, and we're so lucky to have one of the preeminent voices on the subject of early sports specialization, Dr. Matt Preventure. He also served as head team doctor for the New England Patriots and is raising four kids in this crazy sports world. You guys, can you believe early sports specialization is now classified as a disorder, ESS? It's a bit surprising based on the fact that back in the day, we were out playing kickball in the streets and kick the can, running through the woods. I was playing American football with the boys. And and then on top of that, got into club soccer, um, AAU basketball, did high school in both. So the fact that everyone's seems to be on the trend of specializing uh, such a young age is a concern. I remember when I first started talking to Matt about this subject, he was um, one of the early contributors to our website. I love to watch you play.com and talked about this and told me about ESS. And actually they'd come up with this um, saying or acronym or whatever it is that you call it to diagnose or to, to classify, I guess, early sports specialization. And I think it's shocking for a lot of people to realize that, the orthopedic community is actually worried about what we are doing to our children and actually their bodies. Yeah. And how they're going to handle this as an orthopedic and a a physician's community. So um, I was fascinated with it back then. And then as Asia said, I think we're so lucky to have him. He's a doctor at the Stedman clinic now and just has, I mean, an incredible resume um, works in research. He's very passionate about this subject. And I think passionate about educating parents because I think he really sees it from a physician standpoint, what we're actually doing to our children. In the soft tissue repair industry, surgeries expected to hit 17 billion by the year 2022. And the main source, youth sports participation. Asia, do you have some of those other stats? I know we were going through some of them earlier today. They're shocking. Well, ACL surgeries increased 3% per year over the last 20 years in 6 to 18-year-olds. Tommy John surgeries up 50% with more than half happening to athletes between 15 and 19. There's so much going on. I mean, concussions, a whole nother subject, up 100%. It's amazing. So let's dig in I think today, and I'm excited to talk to Matt and just see if we can help parents, I think, understand what specialization means, what are some things to look for, and kind of what this um, problem really is. All right, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. What do you see as being the biggest problem in this area? Kids at a very young age are only exposed to one sport, especially during their key growth and development time. And with that, we are seeing 
a variety of issues from psychological burnout to a lack of motivation to do the sport when it may really count down the road in, in college and even beyond. And a lot of overuse injuries, especially for young muscles and bones that aren't even fully developed at this point. Matt, I know you and I have had a number of conversations over the years about it. How concerned um, are the group of physicians that are, are looking at ESS and studying it? It's a big concern for us, you know, to the point where we just actually had a, a very high-level meeting among numerous organizations from the uh, athletic training organization, meaning all the athletic trainers that take care of all the high school and college teams uh, and professional teams to uh, the society that I currently represent, which is the Orthopedic Sports Medicine Society, Physical Therapy Society, as well as uh, primary care sports medicine doctors. It's this serious that we have uh, funding to uh, just meet recently in Chicago to come up with strategies to to deal with this uh, almost epidemic at this point. Wow. Do you think there'll be um, down the road after all this research, like template to follow yeah, like with guidelines, time demands, yeah. guidelines, like how much time is too much per week? How much time in a year? How many months yeah. is too long? Even ages. Yeah, no, there's, there's no, there's no question about that. And we already have that with some sports and the ones where there are focused injuries. Little League Baseball mm. is a great example where we now have Pitch counts, uh, weekend limitations, weekend counts of number of pitches, number of days, uh, games off, days off, et cetera. And, and those are all been well adopted. It took some time, but this has been almost now a 10-year uh, project that is uh, known in the sports medicine circles as the STOP campaign or, or STOP orthopedic youth uh, injury campaign. And it really started with uh, Little League Baseball. The, the reality is that's just tip of the iceberg in terms of all of the sports that really need to have attention in this. Matt, is it a new problem? I mean, if you look, could your studies go back and look at gymnasts and look at swimmers and look at some of these sports that have always specialized? Have you been able to do that and dig up what that tells us? I mean, do they have uh, like a huge propensity? Why, or is this just a new phenomenon based on other sports only, or those sports know something maybe mm. the other ones or, don't? Or a new yet. phenomenon based on parents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that that no, that's exactly right. And and so you you hit the nail you hit the nail on the head. There are some sports that just by the very nature of how they are, the participation of solo sport at an earlier age is probably more accepted than some of the others. And the data clearly shows that. And you hit the sports exactly. Those sports being swimming, diving, gymnastics, competitive figure skating, and a few others that, uh, including uh, men's and women's ice hockey, boys and girls ice hockey for that matter, where the selection to that next level predates a lot of usual college participation. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the peak age of a gymnast is 16.25. So you have to look at what goes into making a gymnast at the age under 16, whereas the peak age of a U.S. women's and, and men's professional soccer player is well in the 20s. So there, there are sports specific things that are to that are very important to consider. Ice hockey is the same way where many of the hockey 
men's hockey players and even women's hockey players at the national team level are peaking at age 17 to 21. So the research does show that, that there may be, if this is your sport and it's swimming, it's diving, it's hockey, gymnastics, competitive figure skating, similar type of uh, age peak as we just saw from the Olympics in, in South Korea is those sports are probably a little bit more amenable, although we do see a lot of overuse injuries just because of the uh, the, the training, mm-hmm. but probably more acceptable in terms of the research we've been able to find. Is, is that kind of a given, though, that you know? I mean, I, I know some gymnasts, and I have some friends whose daughters are gymnasts, and it's kind of almost a given for them that they're sacrificing their body a little bit. <laughs> Can I say that for the future? Like, they know they're going to have aches and pains, it, but I guess it's I think there's certain sports where maybe we're aware of that or know that that might happen. But yet it's interesting to hear you talk about soccer and baseball being sports where I mean, I have a 10 year old son that just finished his baseball season. And I mean, he's almost 10 years, you're telling me, away from really being in his prime or where I'm going to really know if if he could be good at that sport or not. Yeah, that's exactly right. The data, again, shows those sports that are, you know, highly college based or that you're in your early 20s to mid-20s, those are ones that you have the opportunity to develop much longer term. In addition, the people that succeed at the collegiate soccer level, the collegiate football level, National Football League, men's and women's lacrosse, the research again and again shows those that played multiple sports throughout their career do much better and excel in college and beyond. And that beyond also includes the Olympics, where the vast majority, except the sports we talked about that are a little bit younger, the vast majority of Olympic athletes are those that played many sports growing up. So the question I, that comes to my mind is, are they Olympic athletes that happen to play multiple sports or did the multiple sports help them become Olympic athletes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're just, they're elite athletes, obviously. Yeah. Chicken or egg. Right. Right. No, it's, it's chicken or egg. And I think at some point those, you know, great athletes really, you know, rise to the occasion. Michael Jordan, phenomenal baseball player could have gone either way. You look, you look at that in the NBA or NFL, there's uh, tons of examples of folks that it could have been and still do professional baseball drafted in the uh, major league baseball draft, as well as drafted in the NFL draft. That, that is, those are your best uh, athletes. There, there's some uh, self-selection genetics, DNA that are beyond the control, but now we have a, a system and, you know, there's you know, club systems starting at uh, U8, U9, U10 that are saying, well, you, you have to do this in order to play soccer in college and you need to be committed to the, soccer club or the lacrosse club or other type of sports. But again, the research of those that do well in collegiate sports and stay injury free and are able to play good long careers are those that played multiple sports. What do you tell a parent when they come to you with a kid that you're seeing some of these um, side effects in is it stop playing? Is it shake them? And what are you doing? Cause I mean, I have parents, I have friends that are in that position that are like, Oh my gosh, like we went to a shoulder specialist and my son's having trouble with their shoulder and he's nine. And we never thought that, you know, he was pitching and playing quarterback that he'd be the kid that they're talking about, but he in fact is. 
Yeah, no, that's and that's a great example. The so there's a kid that plays multiple sports, but just overusing you know the arm. Now that being said, there's plenty of other things that your nine year old can do, Alex, to make him a better athlete down the road, and that includes other sports and other conditioning sports, hand-eye coordination sports, or sports that rest rest the arm and, and still stay active. I I, I try to present to the parents as like, you know, listen, here's what the data shows. If you want the best chance, yeah, you know, I, I like what you're doing in the club, but do something, do something else and don't make this a, a one-time, one-sport type of event for your kid. Or don't make it all about throwing football and baseball. There's another good example like you gave. And do something, do something else that uh, stimulates another part of the body and another part of the mind as part of that sport. And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but so we, a lot of parents be included, we hear that advice. And so now what we're doing is just doing a ton of sports all at the same time. And that, as you mentioned earlier, <laughs> and right, private is, training and, and psychological training. <laughs> so it, it, and that's, is that even worse? Or is that better? Are you seeing some really messed up are the loads, we're Yeah, We're looking at the, 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 are the weekly loads too much where they're, they're playing multiple sports, but is that counterproductive to what we're trying to do is prevent injuries? Yeah. So um, one of my good friends and colleagues actually did a study exactly on this. And so, okay, well, we're being, we're being good parents because, uh, well, we're doing multi-sports now, but we're still doing more than... 20, 25 hours a week uh, of sports activities at age 12 or 13 or under. There's no question that level of intensity, that level of participation, and and on some level, not letting the the kid be a kid and and play and and enjoy, enjoy being a kid on some level. There's no question our research has shown that uh, there's overuse, burnout, and psychological effects. You might not have the, the physical effects because of not doing the same sport, but there are cumulative psychological and burnout effects that are very real. And I I just, I I talked to a parent, a friend of mine from Colorado and was one of the top recruits, if not the top recruit for division one lacrosse this year and had done club lacrosse uh, since age 10 year round, six days a week, and was recruited by many division one lacrosse schools to play. Uh, turned them all down because he did not have the fortitude mentally to go on. He was completely burnt out. Can a parent add, like, can you supplement yoga with that? Like if a a kid's playing soccer and and you counteract counteract another, or or are you really saying like, (laughs) are you, I guess what I'm asking is, are you getting it like, hey, you should, we shouldn't be focusing this early? Or are you saying if you are focusing this early, complement it with something else? I think it's more the former. I, I just, at, at the end of the day, the, the, the research would show again and again, focusing early is the problem. You can supplement it with other sports. You can supplement it with some yoga or other, you know, good activities and brain relaxation activities and other things. But at the end of the day, the, the best evidence would show that just over overdoing it in one sport is usually under the age of about 13 to maybe even up to 14, right around the seventh, eight, late seventh grade, early eighth grade time. That's when you can start maybe focusing things as you get into that high school, high school range. But with that, the, the most 
high school is to still maintain balance and supplement it with, like you talked about, Alex, yoga and other things. That That's fantastic. I love that. But at age 13 and under to try to get away with that and and game what really good research shows, I, I don't I don't see that working too well under the age of 13 to 14. And I love the conversation that, and what this means for them going to the next level. You know, not everyone plays in college, but when they do, I think if we asked a lot of college coaches, we are, we're getting some tired kids. And so now yeah, we have to deal with these the mental psychological issues of what's transpired on since they yeah, which I'm sure UCLA, UCLA yes. where kids are. I mean, that's an intense kid. I'm I would imagine intense kids. You know, academic standards they have to live up to, athletic standards, and it started. You know, if they if they specialize from an early age, it's just built over time. Where we we do uh, see that more and more of and uh, you know, kind of dealing with that side of it. Um, not that it's a bad thing. I think the mental side of the game is important that, to address, but. I think of, of some of these kids come in after maybe having a different upbringing through their the younger years uh, under fourteen that it might bode well for their future in college and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious that you know at your end at a, you know at a high level Division One uh, you know female soccer, I, I'm curious on on that comment because that that would be consistent with our research showing the the, the some level of fatigue and psychological burnout, and, and sometimes it's hard to quantify you know really exactly what that is, but you know, maybe it is just tired, but there is probably certainly some psychological component. Have you seen changes uh, over the years in, in this or attitudes of players coming in? I, I feel like, especially after being, I've been at UCLA five years now, at th- this level of, of athlete, I see it more that we as coaches talk a lot about recovery and getting them because the standards are so high and not only are they at UCLA, but they're playing youth national teams and doing these other things that it's a concern for us. And we're trying to prevent injuries as well. And, and I know I, I, I was reading some stuff like the, the Canadian hockey league now requires their athletes to play other sports during the off season or off there. It's part of their training, obviously. And um, different ways that some of the, the, obviously even these, professional leagues are seeing it and they're trying to come up with ways for injury prevention, but probably also for burnout as you're talking about Amanda. And with you, you probably have a pretty good case study right there in Haley Mace compared to some of the others. Cause she has, Amanda has a player, Haley Mace who had a unique sort of upbringing and didn't play high level volleyball. Yeah. Volleyball and played some nice fun club soccer. Yeah. Got seen late uh, and the standards of recruiting was very late. And she's one of the mm-hmm. most explosive athletes I've ever seen. And I have to say, right. how's she doing now on the team overall? Like the whole, the whole coach, yeah, her mental, how does she do? yeah, she's doing great. Uh, she's been pulled in with the full yeah. national team. She's, she has dealt with some soft uh, tissue injuries, but I think that's from being so fast. You know, <laughs> some of those athletes, they tend to pull hamstrings or groins more, but she, she's an unreal athlete. And you can see some of these athletes that have the unique lateral agility or explosion it's almost like you can see the other sport why that factored mm, into yeah. their development the you see that certainly yeah. in football when it comes to track right mm-hmm. and you can see how that complements and it's interesting because i think that gives us hope. so you know what's interesting in the in the in the, this is uh you know it's another thing that we use depending on, on the sport Here, here's hockey soccer and triathlon just to give you a comparison the research shows hockey your your specialization and, and really differences in training profiles and ability for you know bona fide performance di- 
differences in, in terms of whatever you measure by the sport in terms of overall performance, time, minutes, score, etc. Hockey, age 13. After age 13, you can start seeing some differences. Soccer, age 15. And triathlon, believe it or not, age 20. But you know, a lot of people do triathlon later in life. But you can see where those sports sort of rank in terms of where you can see a breakout difference in training and performance profile. Wow. Mm. And we're looking for it. It's not under 80. It's not U10 soccer. It's not (laughs) U12 lacrosse. So, you know, we really have to keep kids kids and let them be, let them try a bunch of things and see what, see what sticks. Matt, before we let you go, because I think we cut you off, are there a few more kind of guidelines or red flags or, or things to go back to? You mentioned the under 13 not doing something year round. What else? Yeah, you know this is uh, this is this is wonderful. I really I really enjoyed this conversation. But the some other things, uh, uh, tennis is a little there. There is a younger uh, predisposition to that, and there is some breakout at around age thirteen to fourteen with tennis. But playing tennis more than twelve hours a week uh, before the age of eleven to twelve uh, was a problem in terms of a linear relationship for injury. And you could almost say that about any sport. At an earlier age, there's a linear relationship in terms of what we call dose response or the amount of time the athlete participates in it based on the number of number of injuries or chronic overuse issues. And this doesn't even take into account the burnout and psychological aspects that are probably even a bigger decrements in overall performance and training. So I think what we're uh, our takeaway from this really is I think parents have to look at their children and, and be strong advocates and maybe be strong about how they advocate for their children and, and not have the FOMO, the fear of missing out when it comes to, you know, that their kids aren't going to make it, maybe have the belief that they can start a little later and still play a sport um, at a high level if if. That's meant to be, I guess. And it it starts with conversations like these. We'll just keep talking about it and and it'll get through and hopefully a change will will occur. Yeah. Well, we know how busy you are. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Here's a little bit food for thought. So, you know, as a society, if you look at athletes, we're we're talking about, you know, uh, kid athletes, athletes who come from higher median incomes, meaning more than $75,000 per year, 2.5 to 3 to 1 increase in early sports specialization, as well as injuries to go with it. If you have uh, access to private insurance, that same risk was there, 2.5 to 3 to 1. If you had access to private training facilities or private coaching or other things, same ratio, 2.5 to 3 to 1. So we're a little bit of a victim of our own society, and this is what we really need to get our hands around. And, you know, when you're sitting on the sidelines with other parents and, and all of us, all of us do it, and certainly myself with four kids, well, you know, what term are you going to next? Are you doing the summer? Are you playing, you know, everyone wants to know what you're doing next and where the next <laughs> tournament is. And, you know, I always, I've almost always turned to the parent smile and, and feel good about it saying, well, you know, actually soccer's next, not lacrosse. So yeah, um, yeah, that's good. That's that's what you almost have to look at, knowing that you're the smarter one and the smarter parent in this whole situation. <laughs> wow, it's a powerful message, and I think um, it's pretty loud and clear what we're hearing from a lot of specialists, including people like yourself. Less is more. <laughs> Less is more. Well, Matt, thank you so much. It's um so enlightening, and always such a no. pleasure to talk to you. And um, 
and we really just appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. My, my pleasure. This was excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. We'll catch up soon. Bye. Do you have a daughter who wants to play soccer in college? Well, there's a great resource that you need to know about. It's called College Committed. College Committed is an online program designed to help 8th through 12th grade female soccer players and their parents navigate the college recruiting process effectively. You'll get advice from college coaches, be matched with colleges that are good fits, and receive step-by-step task lists for parents and players to follow throughout the entire recruiting process. Go to www.collegecommitted.com to find out more information and to watch a free webinar. Well, wow, you guys, that's an awful lot to digest. I mean, I think what strikes me most is just the fact that it's, again, an, an epidemic in the way that doctors are looking at it. Yeah, and it's 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 really interesting what he was talking about, that it's like an upper echelon or a wealth issue as well. Because those families have more money to spend on private training, maybe playing gear round. Yeah, yeah club fees. Yeah. Club, club fees are, it's, it's a whole different world, um, you know, and, and you have to, unfortunately, in the, in, in the sport of soccer, they're trying to do more to diversify and get into the inner cities and make it more accessible because right now some sports, um, it really isn't. I think one of the takeaways for me as a parent is, is I just feel compelled to be stronger does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think that we have to, um, it's our responsibility, I think, to be advocates for our kids. And I think that we can't get caught up in doing what everybody else is doing because everybody else is doing it. And I think what we continually are hearing now from these specialists is that even though everybody else is doing it, we're doing it at the detriment maybe of our kids and their long-term health. So we've got to be strong enough to stand up and maybe go against the grain. And as a coach, we get asked a lot these questions of, you know, should I play high school of the same sport or should I play a different sport? And I'm always in the mindset of do what you want to do. Cause we need, we also need to think about the emotional psychological component of this. And mm-hmm. we don't want to stress them out by running around doing all these multiple sports. But if you want to play multiple sports, I think the parents can help figure it out and do it in such a way that it, it is not looked down upon by like, don't if a parent don't let a club coach, have some sort of system where they, you know, they take away playing time. Can you? Can you? I, don't, <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't, can yeah. you as the parent, can you stand up to the club? Well, well, you can stand up. Your kid just won't play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you make, if you have a, as a parent group, maybe you come together with the leadership in the club and maybe there's set protocols of, you know, missing, if you miss one practice, this might happen. If you missed two, you know, in the college world, you know, we have some pretty set rules of they know the consequences of if they fall below a certain GPA. It can be something like that where there's just a, a set standard. You know, that that reminds me, and I've, I've often thought this, and I'm probably in the minority here, but now it's classified as a disorder. Do you think this mm-hmm. is something the government should be getting involved in and limiting? I mean, I know there's all sorts of rules coming now for concussion and various The government's things. involved in concussion studies. That's yeah. For sure. I mean, maybe it's something where they're going to have to step in because basically we're not doing a good enough job ourselves. Well, I think we've got to keep the discussion going and we have to keep asking ourselves what the end goal is, which is something you told me, Asia, years ago when we first started talking about all this. And I think you've got to think backwards a little bit in Mm -hmm. terms of what do you want? I mean, do you want a kid who has um, severe problems with their shoulder or their arm or um, has knee surgery early, which we're actually seeing now in kids younger and younger? 
Or do you want a healthy, well-rounded kid who doesn't have psychological problems? What is the cost? I mean, here's what strikes me is if it's a, if it's a problem for affluent parents, you can probably afford to send your kid to college. I'm not so sure you need sports. Do you? No, it's getting in. I yeah, keep true. saying it's getting just into, getting into college at this point. My question, I think, to parents would be, do you think this early sports specialization, specialization helps in getting that scholarship? Do you think that's the only path? If Maybe if you see your child is not as talented as another player who's maybe more athletic or whatever it may be, do, you, do they see that as like, I, I have to do that in order? Is that... I think they do, but I don't know that they're informed because if we are listening to what we right. just heard from <laughs> exactly. Matt, it's if they're a baseball player, you won't really know until they're night. If they're a soccer player, right? It's in their twenties that you're yeah. peaking oh, yeah, later 20s, on, yeah. right? I mean, if you're a yeah, gymnast, but if you're not in the system, so this is the problem. Yeah. If you didn't start club soccer until you're fourteen, there's no chance your full potential will be realized in that sport in time for college or you know what I mean if you're not because if you didn't get on the good team I mean it's very it's an evaluation difficult. process now that's, that's earlier and earlier and that's part yeah. of that's part of the problem and it's it's money I mean yeah. it all comes down to money in the end right everyone the clubs want the money and it, it ends up creating this vicious cycle because they start offering it because parents will pay for it. It's yeah, like you're afraid if you don't start soon enough you're going to be left out and you'll yeah. be off the train right so one of us are going to have to not not get on the train until the kids are 14. <laughs> Let us know, everybody out there, how it goes. Yeah, exactly. All right, what a great show today. Thank you to everyone who was listening. And for all the news, inspiration, information about how to survive in this crazy world of youth sports, you can visit us at ilovetowatchyouplay.com or our Facebook page at I Love to Watch You Play or follow Coach Amanda and her Bruins at uclabruins.com or her Twitter handle at Cromwell UCLA. All right, that's it for us. Thank you. 